I've called today, don't count the, uh, count the airs, don't count the days. And just with today, I just thought we'd talk about generations within the house, because I believe within the life of the church is that it is a place for generations to dwell. Um, You know, young people in the house, it is phenomenal. Old people in the house, it is great. And there's one thing that I love is that the church should always be generational. Who knows that sometimes that's not too easy to have all ages in church. You go to some churches and they're all at one end of the scale, and then you go to another church and they're all at the other end of the scale. Has anyone been in a place like that? There's some of you walking today and think, wow, wow, there are so many different ages in this church. Did anyone ever think that? Does anyone ever walk in here and think, wow, look at the variety. There's so many mature age people and there are so many young ones and there are so many that are just wet behind the ears, but there's everyone right here. You know, like when I went to church and with my dad growing up, is that as a young person in the church, you know, we always had a different opinion about church. Who knows that? Who knows young people always have an opinion? Sometimes, you know, with teenagers, you know, they should move out before they know everything. But, you know, young people, they always have, and for me, I was no different. A young age, at about probably 13 or 14, I, I used to be on the worship team, believe it or not. Don't laugh. But yes, I used to try and play drums. I, I was there, and get, going back down memory lane, we even had a rock band at school. Unbelievable. Wasn't that good? But it worked. Anyway, so, but, but I remember going to Dad, and I'm like, Dad, because he was a pastor back then. I don't know, I tried not to be a pastor, but it just didn't work. Anyway, so I went to him one day, and I said, Dad, you know what, the future is coming. He's like, what do you mean? And he's trying to pastor a church. I said, you know what, the music is too old. Who's ever been there? The music's too old. Dad, the future is coming. I said to him, you know what the future is? The future is Metallica and ACDC. I said, that's what we should be playing in church. We should be playing that sort of rock, that sort of metal. And, and Tim in the middle said, amen, because that's what we listen to, us men, in cars every night. No, we don't. Yes, maybe. Anyway, so, but, but I said, that is the future. And he just looked at me like, yeah, no way, son. But who knows sometimes is that when it comes to church, is that church needs to be generational, is that when it is generational, it is strong. When there are generations throughout the church, it is strong. We need the younger generation that, you know, have energy, that have passion, that have, you know, that go, get up. We need the older generation that have the wisdom, the understanding to be able to guide the younger generation. That's how I see church works. That's why I'll have coffee with all the mature age people because I know they've got a lot of wisdom to give me. Because I, I, I know this is because, well, this is my motto in life, you know, learn from someone else's mistakes. Look at what they've done wrong, don't do it. If you're young and married and you're just young and married and you're getting in that, you know, coming out of that honeymoon period, go to someone that is further along and ask them, how did you do it? Learn from their mistakes. And I think it's the same with church. Is like sometimes, you know, church can be different. The older generation, you know, the older generation, you know, they'll attend church. They'll come more regularly, weekly. Is that they prefer a t- traditional type of worship service? You know, for some of us here this morning, even this morning's worship was a bit. Well, that's a bit too much. We need to turn it down. That drummer, hey, 
you know, he needs a haircut and really, you know, needs to get his life together. No, he's good. He's all good. I promise you. He's going to get married. She'll sort him out. Okay? It's all, it, it's good. It's good. But for some of us, that, that's like, we, we like the more quiet, the more reserved. For the older generation, you know, for some of us, we like our, our, our private devotional times. And for others of us, the older ones, is that we love to be involved in community, church community stuff. But then the younger ones is that, that we like smaller groups. We like getting together. We like coffees. We like chai. Not me. But, you know, they prefer contemporary styles of worship. You know, they want their gifts, you know, home. They want to be encouraged that they can achieve. Is that, you know, these things that we've got, is that they want to value outreach. They want to be involved in evangelical, in evangelistic stuff and they want to invite people. To, they want to have a passion to see things right. You know, none of these things are wrong. Some of them are just different. But as we bring them both together and we work together, how strong can the church be? There are some common things that take place in the life of generations. As I look right here in this room, the common things are this, is that we all have a faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. We all have that in common. That is the glue that keeps us together. We all have this time where we love to engage in worship corporately. We stand together as generations. We lift our hand, we lift our heart to a God and we declare His praises. The other things that we have in common, or some of them, is that there is a sense of belonging. You know, we belong to His cause, we belong to His house. We have a sense of we belong to the local church. Why? So that we can shine God's light. Why? Because we can live out His cause. And so when generations come together on this common thing, is what happens is the church starts to thrive as generations come together. And so today I just want to touch on this a little bit. In 1 Peter 2, 9-10, to it says this. It says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I love that. So that we can proclaim his praises. I believe this. All generations are called for that one thing, is to proclaim his praises. Is come together and proclaim he is the king of kings. You and I were chosen. We are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood that he set aside for this one cause. For this one cause, to proclaim his name. To proclaim his name. Counted heirs, not days. God is the God of generations. God is the God of generations, naturally and spiritually. All through the Bible we see that God makes references to generations. He makes references to generations naturally and spiritually. If you go through and have a look, think of this time where Moses, he came and he's just there and he's in the desert. He's been thrown out of Egypt and he's in the desert. He's herding some sheep and he's around there and all of a sudden something catches his eye and it's a burning bush. And at first the, the bush is consumed by fire and he, he has one glance and it's like, well, it's just a fire. 
But then again, if you read through the scriptures, it catches his attention. He's, he's intrigued by it. And he starts to go over and the voice calls out to him, basically says, you know, Moses, stop right there. This is God. Take off your shoes. You are standing on holy ground. And he calls him in. But I, I love what God says to him in this moment. Is that God tells him to take off, come closer. And if we t- pick it up in Exodus 3, Verse 5, and he said, do not draw near to this place. Take off your sandals, off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid him face, for he was afraid to look upon God. I look at that right there, and right at that moment, God says to Moses, I am the God of generations. I am the God of the grandfather. I am the God of your father. I am the God of your son. I start looking at these things and reading those sort of concepts around the place and seeing that, you know, right there is that God tells Moses what to do. But I love the point here is that when I look through the Bible, God counts generations, not years. You ever notice that? If you read your Bible, God counts the generations. He doesn't actually count the years. Let's have a look in Matthew. In Matthew 1, 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity of Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity of Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. God counts generations. So to me, it says that for the church, generations are important. Is that the church isn't just supposed to last one generation, it's supposed to go beyond this generation. It is supposed to be for this generation and the generations to come. God counts the generations. We are to build people, not monuments. Get this. As a church, we are not just to build a monument for the last generation to remember us by. We are to build a movement. We are to build people so they can live out the calling that God has for them. It's a sad day where you see a church just sitting on the corner, empty, as a monument, as what has been. And this is hard, because man wants to build a monument. Man wants to say, you know what, look what I've done. Look at this. But God's saying, you know what, it's not about you, it's about them. It's about others. It's about those that are coming after you. It's about generations. I love it because at this moment there's a burning bush and, and God is talking to Moses at this point. And he's saying to Moses, you know, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of I am the God of Jacob. But I love what he says. He says, you know, I, this is what I'm calling you to do and gives him a command to go into Egypt. Go into Egypt and lead his people into the promised land. 
when I see that, is that God is saying, you know what, go and release my people and the future generations. And so when God is counting generations, he comes and he says, you know what, I'm bringing salvation to you, but now I want you to take salvation to them. But more than that is as you take salvation to them, I want you to draw them and their family and their future and their future generations into salvation too. God counts the generations. God just doesn't call you and I into eternity. He calls the generations after us into eternity. In Luke 19.5, the story of Zacchaeus, where he's up a tree and he hears that Jesus is coming along. And Jesus, he's walking down the road one day and, and there's this guy, Zacchaeus, he's a tax collector and he climbs a tree because he can't see past the crowd and he knows that this guy is coming and he just wants to see him, and all of a sudden, Jesus is there and sees him in the tree. But I love this story and where it comes from. Is that when Jesus sees him, and when Jesus got there, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, he said, hurry down, I want to stay with you today. And Zacchaeus hurried down and gladly welcomed Jesus. And everyone who saw this started grumbling. This is a man, is a sinner. And Jesus is going to eat with him. Later that day, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, I give you half of my property to all, I give half my property to all the poor, and I will now pay back four times as much to everyone I have cheated. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, He said, Today you and your family have been saved because you are a true son of Abraham. I see this moment here is that Jesus comes and meets this man at his house. He says, listen, you know what? Jesus probably was, in his day was never supposed to hang out with this guy. Tax collectors were the low of the low. You see, you didn't associate with them. You know, they ripped you off every chance they got. Doesn't sound much different today. <laughs> but, but this is what took place. They, and he wasn't supposed, but Jesus is like, hey, listen, I'm coming to your house today. He lays out a meal. He eats the meal. And then the, I love the statement at the end because Jesus says, today salvation has come to you and your family. Who knows right at that moment, by him laying out that spread before you save you, you know what? right there he was making way for him and his family. Again, God, Jesus himself counted the generation to come, counted the household. He wasn't concerned just about the individual. He's concerned beyond just the individual. Salvation is for you and your house. God's plan always includes the generations to come. I believe this, is if God gives you a dream or a vision and you can fulfill it in your own strength, then it's not from Him. Well, that's tough. Because if you can fulfill it in your own strength, then it's about what you and you can do. If it goes beyond you and you say, God, how can I ever do that? And it happens. His supernatural hand is upon it. And it will always include those around you. Blessing will come upon you and those around you. 
And so God, I, I believe, is after the generations to come. I love the resolve that Joshua had come to. Moses had died and Joshua was leading the, uh, the people in, in to uh, take on the promised land. But there was a point where a lot of people were whinging and moaning. And it's like, hey, listen, this is, this is too hard, Joshua. What, what is going on? And he makes this resolve. He makes this statement. He makes this declaration to the people. In, uh, have we got it there? Uh, in Joshua 24, 15, he said, But you do not, know, do not want to worship the Lord? Then choose right now. Will you worship the same idols your ancestors did? Or since you're living on the land that belongs to Amorites, maybe you'll worship their God. I won't. My family and I are going to worship and obey the Lord. He had a resolve. He said, this was a man that he declared over his household, right now, you know what? Everyone is coming against me. Everyone is speaking against my God. But right now, the resolve within my heart is this. Me and my house will worship the Lord. Me and my house will serve the Lord, all the days of our life. Comes a resolve, it comes generational. Is that when we make a decision, we've got to realize this, is that when we make a decision, when we make a resolve, when we do anything within our own life, it affects those around us. Sometimes we just make decisions that we think, oh yeah, they're fine, they're fine, but then we don't realize the effect that it has on those around us. Families, parents, the decisions that you make affect your family. The resolves that you make within your life affect the loved ones that you have in your care. It's a, I love the resolve. Well, the resolve that Carolina and myself have is that for all the days of our life, we'll be found in the house. Ever since our kids were born, they were found in the house. They were found at church. A week out, they were found at youth camp because we used to run a youth ministry and I think two days or three days after Maya was born, she was there down the front in the mosh pit, 300 teenagers, crowd surfing, like the whole thing. It was just a resolve. It was like, no, this is what we do. This is who we are. The resolve is this, is that church isn't just an add-on or our Christianity isn't just an add-on, but it's just who we are. I find this, is it's never really a struggle whether I'm going to church or not. It's just a resolve as that's where we go. If we don't go, my kids complain. It gets to Thursday and Judah's like, when are we going to church? Two days time. Okay, he wakes up in the morning, ready for church, let's go. I'm like, it's just a result. It's just, but the decisions that we make actually affect the loved ones that we have around our life. And the question is, do you make healthy choices? Do you make healthy decisions? Do you make healthy resolves in where you're going to be? Because I believe this is that God doesn't count years. He counts generations. He counts heirs. And so the way that he will look at our life and our generation as we go through and move through as a church and we get old and I drop off the face of the earth and someone here younger than me hopefully buries me and all those things it won't be hey I'm not being sad or more but I'm just saying is that the way that we measured is is the generation after me worshiping and praising God 
are my kids, are the young ones within the house. And it comes naturally, but also it's spiritually as well. Do you stand in the gap for your families? Do you stand in the gap for the generation around you? I love this story about Dr. Dr. John Giddle. He went to a Polynesian island and he worked there for 24 years. Written in his memory are these words on, on his, on his um, gravestone. When he landed in 1848, there were no Christians. When he left in 1872, there were no heathens. A missionary rocks up to a shore. He knew the value of generations. He knew the value of what was to come. Psalm 145, verse 4. Each generation will announce to the next, your wonderful and powerful deeds. Your wonderful and powerful deeds. My first point was this, is God counts generations. My second one is this, is one generation to the next. One generation to the next. He said, I will proclaim. Let's proclaim to each generation his wonderful works. Let's proclaim his powerful deeds. Let, let's declare those things. I, I love the Apostle Paul. He realized that one day that his life would be over, so he would mentor young men, men and women. He would send them out. But there is one that he mentored. His name being Timothy. And I love what he said to Timothy is that he would write, you know, first and second Timothy. They were, they were written to Timothy by Paul. And he wrote in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, he says, You have often heard me teach. Now I want you to tell the, these same things to the followers who can be trusted to tell others. To me right there, that says generational. You see, you often heard me teach. Now I want you to tell these same things to the followers who can trust to tell others, be trusted to tell others. Is it if you look out Timothy's life for around 14 years, he would follow. He would follow Paul around listening to him. Paul would go on his missions trip and he would travel around all of the known world at that time, ministering all the trade routes and all the cities and setting up churches and then moving on. And right next to him would be these young guys. And this one young guy was Timothy. And I find it great is the heritage that Timothy actually had. Is that we read the scriptures and those things that were bestowed upon Timothy, but at the same time, it was the background to which where he got him to where he was. His grandma and his mother were the ones that actually put Scripture into him. Timmy just, uh, uh, Paul just smoke, spoke life into Timothy. As I look at God counts generations, but also he's looking for us to unearth those individuals and help them and draw the potential that God has in them out. Entrust those. Entrust those one generation to the next. Some, some scholars believe that Timothy pastored a church of over 60,000. Must have been pretty good. 
But yet, Paul writes in this letter saying, entrust those. Yeah, yeah, good, you've got a church, that's great, but who else are you inputting into? What are the future generations going to say? What is going to come after you? It's just not about the now moment, but it's about the future of what's going to take place. I love this statement. It says, trust men and they will be true to you. Treat them greatly and they will show themselves great. They will show themselves great. How do you treat the generations that are around you? I I don't believe this is just for those that are on either side of us or below us or whatever. I I believe this is for everyone. It's just not about for the younger generation, but it's about for my generations, the generations that are after me. Taking hold of some of these principles, putting it into our lives. And and I, I tell you what, is that I learn a lot from young people as well. Sometimes we laugh at young people. Who knows that? You see some of the things they wear. You know, for, for instance, fashion. You know, at first we see their fashion, we see what they're bringing out, we see their tight skinny jeans, we see all those things and we laugh at them. But who knows, then you copy them. <laughs> who knows that? We've seen it. But we can learn off each other. And this is what I love is that for some of us is that who are we putting into? Who are those ones that we can instill the gospel into around us? Who are those ones that we can entrust? The greatest treasure of all is the scripture into their teaching. In England, a guy by the name of Albert Hamilton started a Sunday school in 1933. I I love where he started. I think it was in Kent in England. England. And as he started there, 80% of the children that attended his Sunday school came from non-church going homes. In 1977, when he died, 80% of the children came from church going homes. Right there, he changed a generation. Sometimes we just come to church and we think, okay, kids, off to kids' ministry. There you go, it's just... Pat them on the backside. Bye. It's just so they're not in our hair. No. No, the future, the stories, life, purpose, passion is being instilled into their little souls right now as we speak here and worship our God. I I believe this is, is that Every one of those kids, as they grow up, I don't know their background, I don't know where they're from, but the same testimony will be here on this peninsula. I look at this world right now and I see that not all are saved, not all are part of the body of Christ. Not all have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. But for some that do, we need to have people that are able to instill the gospel into them, to think about the next generation. 44 years, he changed generations. 44 years. I love it. Proverbs 11:30. One of my favorite scriptures is, "The fruit of righteous is a tree of life, 
and he who wins souls is wise. He who wins souls is wise. The fruit of the righteous is the tree of life. Who, who do you give life to? Who do you speak life over? Who do you entrust those words to? And, and I, I want to just focus on here, he who wins souls is wise. I, I believe this, souls isn't just a moment, a decision of where someone puts their hand up and says, you know what, I want to follow Christ. I believe someone who is wise is someone that keeps going back, going back to that one and saying, how are you going? Hey, how are you going on this journey? How has your life been since you've made this decision? Have you opened up the Word of God? Have you looked through some of the Scriptures? Can I explain some of these Scriptures to you? Can, can we just maybe sit and read? Maybe can we just go through these Thinking more about, you know, sometimes it's good to, yeah, clap and we see the decisions made, but it's after those moments that really count. And he who is wise will have eyes to see those, to follow those up, to nurture those speak life and impart the gospel. God counts generations and will proclaim it from one generation to the next. Who are you entrusting the good news to? You know, I, I love it. God, he counts generations naturally and spiritually. Today, I want to challenge you, where do you stand? Where do you stand? Where do you stand? If I get the keys back up, that'd be great. Where do you stand when it comes to generations? Psalm 78, 4 to 7. It says, We will not hide them from our children, telling the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done, that they may set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God, but to keep his commands. Right there is the fruit. Right there is the end result. The end result is that their hope will be in God. They will not forget his works, but they'll keep his commands. They will keep His commands. They'll keep His commands. This is a generational church. And when you do step foot inside the building, this is what I want to encourage you. A generational church is where everyone looks out for each other. It's a community where each and every one of us should... You know, not be busybodies, not be gossipers, not be nosy, but, but a community where we impart those truths. Is it any time you can walk in here and, and maybe it's in the cafe after, it's having a coffee or a cup of tea and scone today. Well, wh whatever it is, but some of those things should take place. Is it someone that is maybe going through something? Is it you can instill hope, you can instill life, you can instill joy? For others of us, you know what, sometimes we need to just start to remind people of the works of God. That's why I love our praise reports. 
Josh gets up here and he declares a praise report. He tells us of miracles that are taking place, testimonies that are coming forth. You know, we're declaring God's mighty works. But I love the last one. But we keep His commandments. And I think sometimes we forget these things. As if we come to church, we're all inspired, we all get passion, we all find the hope of God, but then we don't live out the commands. We don't live out the principles. And religion isn't necessarily this thing where it's a rule book and you get slapped over the fingers. No, it's, it's principles, it's commands, it's those things within the Bible that keep us safe. It's a way we can live our life to the fullest that God has for each and every one of us. It's, it's not a wet blanket. It's actually life. It's actually freedom. But when we come to that understanding and we see what actually takes place, we can live in His blessing. And as we live in His blessing, generations are blessed within us and after us. As we take hold of those things and apply it to our life, blessing follows us all the days of our life. As a generational church, take up the mandate that God has for generations. For young and old, for the vibrant, for the ones of wisdom and maturity, share it. Enjoy the passion, the life of the young ones that are around you. Every now and then you walk in on a Sunday and you might, might see a hole in the wall. Lift your hands and praise Jesus and say, thank you, God, we have a youth department. Don't just say, oh, the youth again. Actually, it was the women's department. But anyway, we won't go there. But praise God, we have a kids' department. Praise God, we have a... Praise God for all those things, but just not let them be monuments. Let's just not celebrate the buildings and the things. Let's celebrate the generations to come. Father God, today I thank you for the amazing church that we have. Lord God, I thank you that we are able to come and, and worship you, that Father, you count the generations. You don't count the years that we come and sit on the seats, but you count the generations that are coming after us, the fruit, the way that we can entrust the work to those around us, the way we can raise our families, the, raise we, the way we can put into the younger generation. The wisdom that you've given us over the years to impart it into those. We thank you, Father God. Give us eyes to see as you see. Give us the words to speak as you speak. Today, Father, over each and every one of us as a congregation, just as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I, I want to offer this one invitation. And I, I don't know where you sit today. I don't know every single person in this building. But we serve and we, we serve a God of generations. We believe in Jesus Christ. That He came to this earth so that we could have a relationship with a Heavenly Father, with God. 
And today you might have walked in here and you might, wow, I, I don't have a relationship with God. I just wanted to turn up and check out what church was all about. Well, it's all about this, honouring our God and giving you an opportunity to meet our God. And there's one simple way to do it. It's just say, God, I acknowledge you today. And I'm going to pray, and I want to pray with you as you acknowledge him today. I want to pray for you. And today, if you want me to include you in this prayer, as everyone's eyes are closed and heads are bowed, if you just raise your hand just quickly so I can see. I see that one up the back, yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, down the front. Anyone else want to join these two? Lord God, right now we thank you for the hands that went up. But Lord God, you're a God of generations. Lord God, you count the individual, but also you count the multitudes. And Lord God, right now I thank you for those individuals that raise their hand to say, I want to know you today. Lord God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit comes and rests upon their life. And Lord God, right now that it is the start of a journey, it's a decision that they've made. But right now, Father, I pray that they walk out this journey. Lord God, I pray that they just won't be left alone, but someone will come and meet them where they're at today and impart your truth into their life. Help them on this journey. Why? Because we believe. We believe in generations. We believe in community. We believe in your family. In Jesus' mighty name, bless those ones. Amen.